I'm ready to go. I've got my notes. I've got my book. I've got my little drinky drink. Excellent. Excellent. I have all of those things sans drinky drink. I just have a little bottle of water that I don't even know where it came from because we don't buy bottled water. But I think my spouse's workplace has water bottles available. So sometimes they just appear in my room and then I steal them. So hi, listeners. Welcome back to The Fandom Apprentice, the podcast where two nerdy friends are going through Lord of the Rings. Uh, For me, it's a revisit, and for Sam, it's a brand new experience. Mm -hmm. I'm Sam, by the way. The other one is Rin. And I'm Rin. And today we're talking about the very beginning of Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> I'm so excited. Right. And and we, uh, you know, for the record, we read The Hobbit together. Mm-hmm. Um, Specifically, I read it to you yes. over the phone. And it was extremely sweet and very, very special. And then you gave me the copy of The Hobbit that we had read together. You snuck it into my bag when I was leaving your apartment. And then I got home and I saw it and I read the little note you put in there and I cried. And then I was rereading the beginning of Lord of the Rings. And then I cried some more because of all the big feelings. It's great. Very excited. And this one, actually, when we had finished um, The Hobbit and we had finished crying about that, the end of that edition also had the first chapter of Fellowship at the end. So you also read that one to me. And we'll get to recounting right. that specifically when, <laughs> when we get to it in the book. Yeah. So um, I think we just jump right into it. We're, we're sort of greeted very out of out of the open with the the prologue you have you know the note on the text talking about how this was not meant to be a trilogy it's one story but people but uh Tolkien said or Tolkien was told by his editors it was going to be way too long so split it up uh, uh, into six books and each of the two books is, or two of the books each are in a volume. And so volume one of the Lord of the Rings is of course the fellowship of the ring. They did have, when I was, uh, when I was in Barnes and Noble looking for a physical copy of the book to get, they did have some that were all of the books together. And I considered it because I really liked the idea of a giant hefty tome, but that's just too big. It's hard to carry as Rin is as I up their hold copy. up my giant hefty tome given to me by my father. Uh, not unlike Bilbo, Bilbo gives Frodo the ring. Ayo. Anyway, <laughs> um, we have our prologue where we're introduced to hobbits and the events of the Hobbit. Um, Tolkien walks us through very roughly what happened in the Hobbit. And we realize this is about to be a much different and much longer story than the children's bedtime story that the Hobbit was. 
Mm-hmm. This is a novel about war and about loss and about epic adventures. It is not something you're telling around the fire to your little children, which The Hobbit was. Um, and I, I think, too, it doesn't necessarily, it, it makes the assumption, or the book doesn't make the assumption, rather, that you've read The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. You don't need it. I think it helps the reader to have read The Hobbit. But you don't need to have read The Hobbit to enjoy what Lord of the Rings presents out the gate. Yeah, from what very little I have read of it so far, The Hobbit is nice, it's context, but it seems like what we are getting into is something that's much grander than that. So it's just sort of a a nice little, oh, if you've read it, you've spent some time in the world, that's fine. But you would be perfectly fine without it. But also, it's a short book. Everyone should just go read it. It's a short book, and I think it does add so much to the reading of Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Like, particularly, literally on page one, where we get chapter one, a long-expected party, right? Stabbed in the heart, yes. Which just harkens back to chapter one of The Hobbit, an unexpected party. Perfect. Beautiful. Amazing. I love it so much. And I do, I I just want to get on the record that I love hobbits. I, I adore them. good to have on the record. I think I would make a very good hobbit. Oh, you absolutely would. Yes. You have all I of the mean, hobbit values and skills. You'd be a great hobbit. I, yeah, I think I'm a little tall. But besides the little tallness, like, I, I value food and drink. And uh, I'm a little round in the middle. And um, my feet aren't particularly hairy, but we can work on that. Uh, (laughs) And I'm a massive homebody. It's great. Yeah. I'd make a wonderful hobbit. You like adventures, but, you know, you, you get, you gear up to go on an adventure and you have your adventure and then you like to come home and reflect on the adventure. So you're right. I make sure that I always have it. Right. I always have my hat and my coat and my pocket handkerchief when I go on any adventures. I actually have one of your uh, pocket handkerchiefs that I forgot to give back to you after our most recent adventure together. So I'm hanging on to it for a little bit. Sounds great. Um, I love just the early exposition mm-hmm. that we have. Um, I love within the first few pages that we get old men sitting around and t- and gossiping and that is our our exposition um yeah and also gaffer Gamgee being described as the preeminent expert on vegetables and the growth of potatoes i want to be the preeminent expert on the growth of potatoes for my village that needs to be my epithet scrawled on my tombstone <laughs> yeah i think we can make here that lies Catherine. she was an expert on potatoes <laughs> It's just all of the description that we get in the beginning just feels so lush. There's so much about the world that's so immersive that we just get right away. And then it just sort of only 
increases as we get to like the party later on. But I feel very much like there's a strong sense of place. Right. The Shire is well-defined for us. And we learn even before we encounter Bilbo as a speaking character, we learn everything we need to know about who Bilbo Baggins is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bilbo Baggins is, for the record, a gay man. (laughs) Absolutely, yes. As is his nephew. We will get to that. There's too much for me to, even just in the small bit that I've seen, there's too much for me to keep a running tally of every single gay thing that is said or done, but we'll pick out the highlights because yes, this is absolutely a gay man enjoying his eccentric retirement. His reputation in town might've taken a bit of a hit because he went on a big adventure, but everyone is just talking about how queer he is all the time. He's so queer. I would like to call out the irony of a hobbit named daddy two foot calling people queer as if that's a marvel. That (laughs) your name is daddy. Yeah. Your name is Daddy, sir. You you don't get to talk. Mm-mm. Um, but it sounds very, very right out of the bat. Like um, Frodo, who we are also introduced to as Bilbo's heir and younger cousin, and his his adopted his adopted heir. Um, it sounds very much like uh, Frodo grew up in a queer commune uh, mm-hmm. on the other side of the river in Brandybuck. Or in Buckland with his Brandy Buck relatives and then came to live with his, his eccentric gunkle. And that's beautiful. That's a lifestyle that we can all aspire to. That's incredible. If you listen to the old dudes gossiping, Frodo went from queer to queerer. Mm-hmm. Um, and where's the line? Uh, what is it? it? Oh, someone, one of the, the old men says to the gaffer, um, you, know, you can say what you like, Gaffer, but the bag ends a queer place and it's folk or queerer. And Gaffer, you know, has his retort. You know, if that's being queer, then we could do with a bit more queerness in these parts. <laughs> I certainly think we could do with a bit more queerness in these parts. Absolutely. Um, and then what happens, Sam? So oh, we're introduced to our Sam. We're introduced to book Sam. Yes, Book Sam, who will have to distinguish. I love Book Sam. He's a treasure. He's a gift. He's a gem. Um, Do we meet him before the party happens? It has been a hot minute since I have read this in detail closely. I was just kind of skimming it before we started. No, we just sort of get um, the gaffer just sort of comments on his son, Sam. But Mm -hmm. I don't want to skip over the introduction of Gandalf. Mm hmm which happens directly after old men exposition because I would like to introduce to our listeners, the fandom apprentice laws of fantasy. Oh yes. This is very important. Please. This is very, very important. Um, And we'll define more laws of fantasy mostly as they occur to us. Uh, But I would like to introduce here, here in episode one in chapter one, the fandom apprentices first law of fantasy which is that magic makes you dramatic. It absolutely does. And the more magical you are, the more dramatic you are. We see this with Gandalf. I do have actually later on Catherine's first corollary, uh, which is 
that the more that the degree of drama exuded by a being is directly correlated with the level of magic that they have access to. <laughs> we're going to need to graph this maybe when we're done with this book so that we can have seen all the characters, but we need to have, maybe we'll put it on the Instagram or something or tweet it. I don't know. You do our social media, you can decide, but just a graph. We can see like little pictures of all of their faces where they fall along the ranking. I think that's very important. Right. And so we we get our introduction of of Gandalf and Gandalf the Wandering Wizard. We learn this man is dramatic and this man is known for being dramatic and he is known for putting on an incredible show, mostly with fireworks. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also known for, or it it mentions too that he has more difficult and dangerous business here than just his fireworks, but the hobbits don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Gandalf is not just dramatic. Gandalf is the agent of the plot. Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll see that constantly. Gandalf, Gandalf serves to just forward the plot and provide exposition where needed. Um, he is the Maiar ex machina um, for a little, a little fun pun for those of us who have read the Silmarillion. (laughs) I will just let that go right over my head and then appreciate it later. But in terms of him furthering the plot, I mean, we get a nice little moment where there's some little children who are running up to him and, you know, remarking on all his fireworks and stuff. And then he has a random cryptic conversation with Bilbo about his vague plans. And Gandalf's like, you mean to go on with your plan then? Like, what's the, what's the plan? What's the fucking plan? We're going to find out what the plan is. But there's just a brief mention of the mysterious plan and then off to birthday party shenanigans. Right. And we just so much, you know, so much birthday shenanigans this sounds like an incredible, wonderful party by an eccentric old rich gay man who just, he can afford to show up everyone else who thinks that he's a little bit weird, a little bit queer. Um, I love his, the no admittance except on party business sign that goes up. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother had one of those signs specifically taken from the movie um, on his bedroom door from the time that we were God, very, very small. Yeah. Um, And for clarity, do Bilbo and Frodo have the same birthday or are their birthdays just close together and they celebrate them at the same time? They have the same birthday. Okay. Yes. That is what I thought. Um, Just making sure. So I didn't make a fool of myself. Yes. Bilbo is turning at this, at this time, 11, 111 years old, which is mentioned as like, not impossible for a hobbit, but very respectable. Mm-hmm. And Frodo is coming of age. He is turning 33. Um, and it's mentioned earlier in the book that like uh, Frodo comes to live with Bilbo at when Bilbo's 99 and f- doing some quick math. And Frodo was 21 mm-hmm. at the time uh, in his tweens, his irresponsible 20s. Um and we get the description of the party. What is it? 
Bilbo Baggins called it a party, but it was really a variety of entertainments rolling rolled into one. There's songs, dances, music, games, and of course, food and drink. The official meals and unofficial meals. And apparently hobbits give other people presents on their birthdays. So there's presents, magical and non-magical for everybody. Um, I think it mentions some people leaving the party and coming back in to get a second present. Which is glorious. And um, Gandalf then sets off his fireworks, uh, which are all said to be, you know, they were all superb. The art of Gandalf improved with age. And this is not mentioned, but Gandalf is well over like 3,000 years old at this point. So improved with age, this is not just a fine wine. This is the archaeological find of the century. <laughs> um, he, and he's got his, his big magical fireworks. Fountains of butterflies, pillars of flame that rose and turned into eagles or sailing ships, or a phalanx of flying swans, which I don't necessarily know if that's like a term that you use for flying swans, but my immediate thought with the word phalanx was the Greek spear formation. Mm -hmm. So I just immediately thought of a bunch of swans holding spears. Oh, I was thinking of their, the like their long necks and their pointy beaks as being... Spear and I the suppose. swans just coming at you to attack you, which is something that swans would totally do. Yeah, I was just, if you handed a swan a weapon, I was just terrified by that possibility because swans might look beautiful, but they are evil incarnate. Also, they don't look that beautiful up close. If you ever get a real good look at a swan up close, they're kind of weird, scary looking birds. And their teeth. Swans. Um, but back to fireworks. Back to fireworks, which end, of course, with one final firework, which is clearly a reference to Smog, the dragon from The Hobbit. And it scares the absolute shit out of every single person at the party. It goes from, oh, nice, swans and butterflies, to it's flying over people's heads and people are hitting the ground because they're terrified of it. And it ends with a deafening explosion. Um it's a real, yeah, it's a, a real giant in the magical mood. dragon, a magical dragon. And then Bilbo just goes, and that's the signal for supper. Like, like nothing has happened because this is a guy who has stared into the eyes of a dragon, stolen a cup from him and lived. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, they then have supper and there's also a small family supper, family dinner party, which the invitations to this one are limited to 12 dozen, uh, one gross, it says, which is an actual term for 144 people or 144 items, a dozen dozen, mm -hmm. which comes from the French uh, gross dozen, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong. That's close enough. just means a large dozen. Mm -hmm. Um. But it comes from a base 12 counting system, which if you look at your fingers and you use the thumb to point, you have 12 sections of your of your other four fingers total. I guess I had never thought about it that way, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that allows you to, you know, a, a 
duodecimal or a base 12 counting system is used in a lot of like ancient languages Mm -hmm. and remains in English uh, with, you know, 12 hours in a day and a dozen being features of our language. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think it's very cool. It allows, it allows you to count up to 12 on one hand. It allows you to count up to 24 very easily by, you know, just using your thumb and your fingers. Um, as opposed to our base 10 using one finger for one thing. Um, which, you know, if you're just all of your fingers and toes is just 20. Um, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Anyway, that was our brief sojourn into uh, bits of math and, uh, and linguistic history. Included in this so, gross is, unfortunately, the Sackville Bagginses. Boo. This Apparently, is an anti-Sackville Baggins podcast. <laughs> as all podcasts should be. Fuck the Sackville Bagginses. Apparently, they, quote, disliked Bilbo and detested Frodo, which, side note, I don't know what Frodo ever did to anyone. He seems just like a very sweet, harmless, inoffensive young man. But so magnificent was the invitation card written in golden ink that they felt it was impossible to refuse. They are just the shallowest, worst people. And they get shallower and they get worse before before our uh, little section is out. I don't know if it's in this chapter or the next one, but just fuck that. I also have to say uh, golden ink is the worst color for ink. Assuming paper even close to white like even if it's like a yellowy like older type paper you can't that's not going to show up particularly well you're gonna have to squint yeah that's not good contrast if you're in a dimly lit hobbit hole how are you reading these invitations it is mentioned though that um the the hobbit hole that hobbit holes are a feature of sort of very rich and very poor hobbits specifically Hmm, true, true, true. So, you know, the, the Sackville Bagginses would love to be in a hobbit hole, but probably are not at the moment. Not at the moment, anyway. Um, not at the fucking moment. Um, but we get... <laughs> I I do love that we, we get a little more of, like, Tolkien editorializing in this book than we got in The Hobbit. So we mm-hmm. get... Um, and we get Tolkien editorializing on behalf of all of the other characters. Um, we get a line about Bilbo that they're dreading Bilbo's after dinner speech, which is inevitable because he was liable to drag in bits of what he called poetry. And sometimes after a glass or two would allude to the absurd adventures of his mysterious journey. Um, I love the, just liable to drag in bits of what he called poetry stone fucking cold (laughs) so mean it's like listen he wrote his memoirs he's having fun being eccentric but it does just annoy the fuck out of everyone around him and i love that i this this reminds me a little bit of um the very early parts of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where they're describing Vogan poetry being the third worst in the universe. And mm. I was reading that this line thinking, oh, so where does Bilbo's poetry rank <laughs> oh, no. amongst amongst uh, universe levels of poetry? Probably still quite bad. Um, and oh. in terms of the speech that he gives, 
this speech was also this... delivered to me in a very dramatic way. Would you like to tell the good I... people the the complete context? Because it was beautiful. Do I have to? Yes, because if you don't, I will. Um, it was also the first time that you had met my roommate. Yes, um, this was. They were and... recovering from a minor medical procedure and like kind of out of it. And what but I have we were, been told was... is, oh, sorry. Well, th- we were just sort of all sitting around um and my roommate had moved in like the week prior to this Mm -hmm. and so did not really know me just comes out of their room and i am standing on a chair delivering this speech (laughs) um you know my dear bagginses and boffins tooks and brandy box and grubs and chubs and um it's it's a wonderful wonderful speech and specifically, it was the transition because we were sitting on the couch together, you know, being cozy, having our nice little moment. And then you're like, wait one second and get up on the chair. And it was delightful. Um, yes. And he has one hand in his trouser pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did stand on the chair with one hand in my in the pocket of my shorts. Um, and. Uh, they. We have the speech. And I love the way that this speech is written um, and printed with the the different capitalizations and uh, the the use of the italics here and there. Like, I feel like I understand Bilbo's tone and what he's emphasizing really well. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was well done. Yeah, no, it adds a lot of dimension. And especially if you have read The Hobbit, seeing the confidence with which he carries himself at this point in his life, we have an inside joke from our D&D campaign about the idea of someone being a fully realized woman. And I have taken that on as my personal brand. But this is definitely a fully realized Hobbit. This is someone who knows what he's about, has, as you said, stared a dragon in the face and come out alive. So he is out of fucks to give. He's just going to do what he wants. Oh, yeah. Um, People get pissed off that he calls them a gross. Um, And that he refers to the proud foots and then somebody in the crowd goes, proud feet. I mean, I guess if that's how you're going to pluralize your last name, like, that's fine. Yeah. Um, But and here we have. We've already had Gandalf demonstrate that he's dramatic with the dragon. Uh, but here we have, again, a demonstration of the first law that magic mm-hmm. makes you dramatic because Bilbo disappears. And there is a blinding flash of light and Bilbo is nowhere to be seen. Um, he just. He tells them all, this is the end. I'm leaving. Goodbye. And disappears. Mm hmm. Um, and Frodo is just like, yeah, I knew this one was coming. (laughs) Um, and he did, he, he was, he had been in the know. He says, you know, he felt deeply troubled. He suddenly realized that he loved the old Hobbit dearly. I love this. Like, I know they're, they're, they are family family, but I love the chosen family aspect of this immediately. Yeah. Of just 
this older older gay mentor to this younger gay mentor or to this younger gay mentee and we i know we were saying at the outset that you don't have to have read the hobbit and i don't want to keep referencing it too much but if you are someone who has read the hobbit then you have also come to love bilbo and realizing that we're going to go on a new adventure without him or with him being in a very minor role it's a little bit sad and so we get to you know sort of share that with frodo it is um we get bilbo sort of wrapping up his affairs in in his hobbit hole and then gandalf's there and gandalf is the plot just just delivers some plot and of course tells bilbo you know basically he added the flash of light and the smoke um because it wasn't dramatic enough basically (laughs) people would have wondered and this is where i was gonna initially before you said something earlier thank you brain cell uh living inside my brain uh, i was going to introduce the first corollary which is that the drama is directly correlated to magical power Mm -hmm. bilbo has access to a magical item that we will learn more about very shortly and that we know is a powerful magical item but gandalf is a wizard and though we don't necessarily know it at this point you don't learn it in lord of the rings he is essentially an angel sent to middle earth to meddle in affairs mm-hmm. and he is just everything he does operates on a level that is so far above everyone else in the story that most of the things he does when it comes to interacting with the regular characters are just sort of child's play to him so yeah sure i'll make a giant explosion i'll make a flash he is the even older gay mentor so we have our three generations (laughs) of magical (laughs) dramatic gay men so who's above him who's above gandalf i don't know Iluvatar? Um, God, wait, who's Gandalf's uh, Valar? I don't remember. Off the top of my head, the Anir. Anyway, we'll get to that maybe at some point. Yeah. In my head, I'm just like, I'm spinning like a ballerina. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And you won't. That's okay. One day, um, one day. One day. But we get Gandalf and Bilbo talking about whether or not he's going to take the ring with him. And finally, Bilbo says, you know, yep, we could, this is fine. I, I will leave the ring after some debate. Um, and he and a bunch of dwarves who are just there, three dwarves, unnamed dwarves, are just... They just go off into the night sky. Um, oh, I don't they go off the into the night. They do not go off into the night sky. They don't fly away. That's fair. Uh, I do want to talk about one of the lines earlier, um, which is, you know, the, um, you know, I'm old, Gandalf. I don't look it, but I'm beginning to feel it in my heart of hearts. I feel stretched. Um, and then 
the bit that really spoke to me is somebody who lives in a big city and misses the outdoors every now and then. Um, I want to see mountains again, Gandalf. Mountains. And then find somewhere to rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, dear listener, I'm in my mid-twenties. Like, in some ways, I should not be feeling as tired as I do on the daily. In other ways, we all lived through a very interesting little global catastrophe in the last few years. Um, that as a biologist, I had the the interesting experience of working on the front lines of. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm feeling those years sometimes, even though there's not that many of them. I have to think if there if there happened to be a hundred and eleven of them, including some very traumatic periods of my life, I I'd start to feel them no matter how chipper and cheerful I was on the daily. Yeah. Um, and there is something magical about being in the mountains that you know I I love living by the coast and. enjoy the harbor that I can walk along every now and then, but there is something magical about the mountains. We did recently go on our own little journey to the mountains, and it was very fun seeing your reaction to them. Obviously, I enjoyed them tremendously, but I was driving, so I couldn't really take in the full views. But my joy of seeing the mountains, coupled with getting to watch your reaction to the mountains, that was golden. That was perfect. Thank you. Um, But going on from there, Bilbo leaves into the night um, and we get the poem that we got at the end of The Hobbit, um, but this is a slightly different verse. It's a new verse. And so this, I guess, is where I will rate Bilbo's poetry is pretty great. Yeah, this Um, is a good one. The road poem is probably my favorite one of Tolkien's poems or songs. Um, And some of that has to do with Glenn Yarborough's uh, singing in the 1977 animated Hobbit from Rankin and Bass. Uh, Roads go ever, ever on. But where he just sang, Bilbo leaves and sings softly into the dark. The road goes ever on and on down from the door where it began. Now far ahead the road has gone, and I must follow if I can, pursuing it with eager feet until it joins some larger way, where many paths and errands meet, and whither then, I cannot say. He paused, silent for a moment, and without another word, he turned away from the lights and voices in the fields and tents, and followed by his three companions, went round into his garden and trotted down the long sloping path. Um, and then Gandalf stares after him and says, you know, goodbye, my dear Bobo, until our next meeting. Frodo comes in and he, you know, helps and tells Frodo, you know, Bilbo's gone, but he'll be all right. He left a package for you and, uh, you know, here's his will and also his ring. Frodo is a little bit surprised, but he 
takes it and Gandalf goes, yep, that's it. I'm going to bed. <laughs> keep it secret. Keep it safe. I'm going to bed. <laughs> the, this is this is the gay grandfather. Yeah. I do love the gift giving that Bilbo does and how all of them, all of the notes he writes are fucking stone cold. Yeah, I was going to say gift is a really strong word for it. He leaves some... I would call it passive aggressive prop comedy. I would say more than gifts because that is absolutely what he does. He's parting with some of his worldly possessions that he doesn't need. And every little thing that he's left behind includes a note to some person about why the thing he's leaving them will be useful to them. Um, for Alderard for, took, for, his, for his very own, very own from Bilbo, an umbrella. Adelard had carried off many unlabeled ones. So, you know, it's, this guy steals all my fucking umbrellas. Or there's somebody who he leaves a wastebasket to uh, in honor of their long correspondence. You know, it's just all stuff like that. Um, Milo never answered from Milo Burroughs, hoping it will be useful from BB on a gold pen and ink bottle. Milo never answered letters. <laughs> And for um, Lobelia Sackville Baggins. As a present on a case of silver spoons, Bilbo believed she'd acquired a good many of his spoons while he was away on his farmer journey. Lobelia knew that quite well. When she arrived later in the day, she took the point at once, but she also took the spoons. <laughs> uh, it is, it's so perfect. Um, every one of the various parting gifts had labels written out personally by Bilbo and some, several had some point or some joke. But of course, most of the things were given where they would be wanted and welcome. Um, the poorer hobbits and especially those of Bagshot Row did very well. I, I, I just appreciate that like Bilbo clearly pays attention to the people around him. Mm-hmm. He was very much changed by that that little journey that he took to the Lonely Mountain. Yeah. And the, Bil the Bilbo that we see at the beginning of The Hobbit and the Bilbo that we are encountering now at the beginning of The Fellowship of the Ring are not the same Hobbit. They are, of course, 60 years apart from each other. So there's also that. Age has something to do with it. But, you know, you have the gardener, Gaffer Gamgee, getting two sacks of potatoes, a new spade, a woolen waistcoat, and a bottle of ointment for creaking joints. Old Rory Brandybuck, in return for much hospitality, got a dozen bottles of old vineyards, strong red red wine from the South Fars thing, and now quite mature, as it had been laid down by Bilbo's father. Um, Rory forgave Bilbo and voted him a capital fellow after the first bottle. <laughs> I feel like if you have an entire bottle of very fine wine just to yourself, I would I would vote a lot of people a capital fellow after if they had given me that bottle. Yeah. Um poor Frodo is is dealing with a lot yeah because not only is he processing this big change in his life and being responsible for this property and everything that goes with it he's also trying to cope but then you know dealing out his uncle's jokes to all these people like ah ha ha here's here's this funny ha ha also fuck you Lobelia also yeah I'm totally doing great with all of this Thank you so much for coming to the party. Okay, bye. You know, he's he's got a lot to process. Yeah. Um, the Sackville Bagginses leave with a final moment of dickery. Uh, you know, telling Frodo basically that he's he's not even a real Baggins. 
Um, and uh, storming out. But Frodo, Frodo is just sort of like, well, that's, that's it. That's all we're going to deal with for now. And um, we also get just a little, one little line at the end of the distribution of gifts uh, about how, you know, there's gives away a bunch of stuff, but there's plenty of everything left for Frodo. There was, however, no sign nor mention of money or jewelry. Not a penny piece or a glass bead was given away. And that is kind of unclear to me if there's no sign of money or jewelry in the house or there is some, but it's not being distributed to people. But regardless, I think after his experience with smog, I could understand Bilbo having an aversion to keeping a lot of stuff like that around. I I could understand it feeling distasteful. Well, and I think, you know, there's, there's a little bit of like, the line in the Hobbit is, and all that wealth is undoubtedly what brought the dragon. Mm-hmm. And so Frodo, and and at the end of the Hobbit, we get one of my favorite lines being, you know, if more if more of us valued food and cheer above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. And so Bilbo clearly has value for nice things and good food and good drink. But he's not, you know, hiding gold coins away. Mm-hmm. He is keeping things that are of value to him and of of value to people like him. Mm-hmm. Again, just for a little bit here at the end of this chapter, we get Gandalf being dramatic again and telling, you know, knocking on the door. If you don't let me in, Frodo, I shall blow your door right down your hook right down your hole and out through the hill he said (laughs) um perfect (laughs) Frodo you know come in come in I thought it was Lobelia (laughs) then I forgive you (laughs) oh I I love these two yeah I love Frodo I think he's just such a lovely character and I'm very excited to go on an adventure with him he uh, he clearly has inherited some of Bilbo's restlessness because he's he's telling Frodo like or he he's telling Gandalf like I also kind of want to go I want to see things I'd like to travel with Bilbo yeah let's let's go and Gandalf's like calm down mm-hmm. hang on you're thirty three you'll get there Bilbo was fifty one when he went to or fifty and fifty one when he went to the Lonely Mountain wait a minute and isn't that kind of nice as the people who are in our mid to late 20s to think of you know you're 33 you've got plenty of time that's nice because I think there is is this kind of feeling that if you haven't perfectly figured out your entire life by the time you're like 27 someone will personally come to your house with a gun and just be like well you didn't do it correctly (laughs) like it's well this this is America so Mm, true but you know there's this like feeling that there's some kind of deadline that we are all trying to meet constantly and so it's nice to see right. someone in in fiction be like hey actually you're you're good there there is no deadline there is no and, and i've been coming to terms coming to terms with this a little bit and reading this book is helpful almost with that just there's no deadline there is no need to follow an exact plan 
you can never tell when something like a three year long global pandemic will just come out of the woodwork and uh, knee you right in the nose and uh, say, you know, fuck you, Buster. Um, I don't know where that phrasing came from anyway. I like it. Uh, I think it's good. Well, you know, fuck you, Buster is now an official slogan of Phantom Apprentice. Moving on to chapter two. I'll embroider that on a pillow. Beautiful. (laughs) Fuck you, Buster. It'll go Uh, right next to your other embroidered pillow that is also about fucking that I made for you. So really, I think we're just developing a theme for your home decor. uh, I will point out in my home decor, there are several other bits that are about that. (laughs) This is an aside that we can edit out later if we want, but... I did just love when I was walking around redacted town center the other day and there was this store, this cutesy little art store with all these stained glass pieces in the windows. And one of them was just straight up depicting two people fucking and it was delightful. And if it wasn't, I didn't go in the store, but I imagine it's probably like $300 because I just imagine all stained glass is incredibly expensive. But if it was affordable, I'd be like, this would be perfect for your roommate. You could hang it up in your home. (laughs) They would love it. I would absolutely hang that up in my home. My my home features, and I'm I'm pu- fully down keeping this in. I like tangents. If you if you too like tangents, you should can uh, continue listening and also tell your friends about this because word of mouth is the best way for a podcast to spread. Yeah. Um, but my my home decor includes a a painting of the lovers. Uh, tarot card uh but the lovers are t for t mm-hmm. um my home decor includes a hammer and sickle print except the hammer part of the hammer and sickle is a magic wand um of the hitachi variety um and a a bunch of fruit that looks suspiciously yonic um, and that's some other things there's definitely other things around yeah and that's You've curated a lovely energy that is welcoming and comforting and delightful to the right kind of person and would probably be terrifying to the wrong kind of person it will separate the wheat from the chaff as i am fond of saying and as i recently was reminded that saying separating the wheat from the chaff is like a very like religious thing to say and that's not just a normal phrase that everyone uses all the time it's a whole over <laughs> from being a pastor's kid I just thought it was a normal thing that people said but no that's again like your Apparently lovely roommate not. is fond of saying uh, you are blessed and highly favored I love that um so my thing is <sighs> separating the wheat from the chaff it's a useful phrase you know that that's fair um i love the way it yes i think the home would be most welcoming to people like bilbo and Mm -hmm. most terrifying to people like the sackville bagginses to draw it back (laughs) um into chapter two the shadow of the past okay in which uh oh i guess before we go on uh gandalf does tell frodo you know beware the ring like beware the ides of march um mm-hmm. if you travel you know by high the nines stay off the roads it's the danger you see uh 
he's an agent of the plot. He is mysterious. Frodo literally says, you're very mysterious. What are you afraid of? <laughs> and Gandalf says, I don't know. So I'm going to not say anything about it. Too bad. Um, I have to go. Goodbye. <laughs> um, he says specifically, look out for me, especially at unlikely times. Goodbye. I love him. He's perfect. Uh, I aspire to that level of drama, although that would mean that I need to be that level of magical. So if any um, fey beings or anyone wants to grant me uh, magical powers and yeah, that'd be great. Um, we can talk anyway. <laughs> the shadow of the past. <laughs> Frodo's got lots of little wonderful queer friends. Yeah. And he seems to be enjoying, you know, being the master of Bag End and having his things to do and sharing his home with everybody. It seems like he's having a lovely time. He lived alone, as Bilbo had done, but he had a good many friends, especially among the younger hobbits. Um, he and we're lived formally... alone, confirmed bachelor. He, We know he's gay already. Like, mm -hmm. um... We'll meet his, we'll see him interact with his boyfriend soon. They're very sweet. We will see him interact with his love interest. I don't, I don't think we can call them boyfriends yet. Yeah. Also. I think they might've hooked up once or twice, but. Also, this may be a good time to touch on my Hobbit gender theory, which is that you can't really map binary human genders onto Hobbits. I think that their gender is hobbit and that can encompass you know its own range of things but when i'm thinking about the hobbit characters i don't think of them as men that's it seems like they're their own distinct category and i oh, don't really like, have we will evidence distinguish to... them. oh we will distinguish them we will distinguish them from men capital m men although you know obviously tolkien's writing is doing this as like a distinguishing like this is distinguishing to, um, you know, basically hobbits from humans mm -hmm. and he's using men to mean human. But I, I would see this as distinguishing hobbits from men because we're doing this as a very gay reading yes. uh, with our modern sensibilities. So, uh, you know, the, the 19 in our, here in 1974, uh, or whenever, when did this come out? Fellowship. I should know this. You also um, are the, holding a copy of the book in your hand, as am I, where it is printed, typically. Uh, copyright 1954. I'm sorry. 20 years prior to when I said it was. How dare um, you? I don't know how I'm ever going to live that down, to be honest. Uh, I know The Hobbit came out in 1937. That one I do know. Anyway, 1954, Shadow of the Past, as I've now said about five times, is chapter two. We have, we, we're introduced to Peregrine Took and Marriadoc Brandybuck, usually called Pippin and Merry. And we're going to get a lot with these two. I love them. They're such chaos. Mm -hmm. Particularly Pippin. Pippin is just such fucking chaos in a, in a, in a little bottle. And I love him so much. I haven't spent enough time with them to really tell them apart yet. I just know they're kind of, you know, Merry and Pippin. They're like a little unit, but I enjoy them. They are. Um, 
And they know that Frodo is a little bit weird, but they, they like hanging out with him. Um, Frodo's skincare routine is phenomenal. Uh, he, he continues to look incredibly young and youthful and beautiful, even as he reaches 50. Mm -hmm. So we get a pretty significant Um, time skip from 33. 17 years, a full 17 years from when he, from when Bilbo, or it's not quite a full 17 years yet. Um, at this beginning point, but it is, it is, it is at least 10 years. We are, we are approaching 50 here. We're not, you know, we're, we're close to, you know, 14, 15 years here. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, we start to see weird things happening, strange happenings in the world outside. Gandalf is not here. Um, and we're hearing things from the dwarves uh, about the enemy and the land of Mordor and the Dark Tower and orcs and trolls and dark happenings far off. Um, and now we have the 17th year. We have one evening in the spring of Frodo's 50th year. So 17 full years after chapter one in two pages. Um, we talked about the Hobbit moving very quickly when we were reading it, but like this, this also is just very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very efficient. We dwell on things that we need to dwell on. And then anything that is not worth dwelling on, it's gone. We just, mm-hmm. we just entirely skip over it. Right. And again, we go back to an inn. And we have lots of gossip amongst dudes at the inn. Hell yeah. We, we get bar gossip again as uh, exposition, which is perfect. I love and it. And again, calling back to our connection to D&D, the way that all D&D campaigns are legally required to begin is with gossip in a tavern. Yeah, that's the only way that you can handle things. Um that is how my last three D&D campaigns have begun, uh, both that I was DMing and not. <laughs> There's a reason that it works. It's phenomenal. It is. It's perfect. Um, but we get the end of uh, bar exposition. Um, I think, can we make that an- another law? Um, bar no, exposition? I don't, I don't know. I Hmm. Because I that's think I'm going to have to mull on that. Because the thing about the first law is that you can use it to predict things that will happen. But I don't think that you can necessarily count on any specific instance of lore coming from a bar. You could maybe say that, you know, if there is a bar, then there will be lore, there will be gossip. But I don't know if it's as good think, of a rule. Mm, no, I am going to actually put this in here. Okay. We don't encounter too many bars, but I will say uh, specifically the Phantom Apprentice's second law is that if there is a bar or an inn, uh, there will be plot. I like that. Plot, uh, plot is either expo- expositioned or it is exposed, whatever. The plot moves forward in an inn or a bar. 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't only move forward in in, in, in in or a bar, but if there is a bar, the plot will move forward. I like it. I support it. This is seconded. This is and now. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm thinking ahead to uh, uh, some later instances that come up. Ooh, mysterious. Just in Lord of the Rings, um, where this law applies. Anyway, um, but we also do get dramatic wizard exposition now. Um, Gandalf shows back up. After nine years. Nine years since he saw him last. And, you know, prior to that, he'd seen him sporadically, like every couple of years. Mm -hmm. So over the last 17 years, he's seen Gandalf a handful of times. Maybe. Um, Although apparently for two years, he turned up fairly often, coming unexpectedly and going after dusk and going off without warning before sunrise. He wants to hear about Frodo's health. He's... He's checking in. He's checking in on his gay grandson. (laughs) You know, he tells Frodo, you look the same as ever. And Frodo says, you know, so do you. But secretly he thought that Gandalf looked older and more careworn. (laughs) Gandalf was thinking of a spring nearly 80 years before when Bilbo had run, run out of Bag End without a handkerchief. His hair was perhaps whiter than it had been then. His beard and eyebrows were perhaps longer, and his face more lined with care and wisdom, but his eyes were as bright as ever, and he smoked and blew smoke rings with the same vigor and delight. And then we get exposition about the rings. Yeah, okay, so fuck the rings. So this was something that when I, because I had a sense from The Hobbit that the rings were, you know, kind of bad news, but they clearly go in this book from being oh interesting plot device fun magical ring that turns you invisible don't hang on to it for a long time or it might corrupt you but it's probably fine to oh no this is extremely sinister and terrifying and we need to get rid of it as quickly as possible this is in this little bit of exposition i have become extremely fearful of the ring it is very well done Uh Uh-huh, and that is how you're supposed to feel about it. Yeah, just fuck all of this. And it's so, it's so detailed. And we learn about um, Gollum and all of his shit with the ring. And Well, we learn about that in a moment, but I I don't want to skip over, uh, once again, our demonstration of the first law. Yes, yes. Where Gandalf takes the ring and chucks it into the fire. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and we get the fire, the, the fiery runes, and we read quite a famous line, which is, if you say any of this to any, it, these, these are lines that a lot of people will have heard of, regardless of whether or not they're Tolkien or Lord of the Rings fans. It's one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them, which are Two lines of a verse long known in elven lore. Three rings for the elven kings under the sky. Seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone. Nine for mortal men doomed to die. One for the dark lord on his dark throne. In the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them. 
in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. And I love Tolkien's uh, commitment to delivering delivering plot through verse. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's perfect. Unlike Bilbo's poetry, this is quite good. Yeah, this is this is so much more ominous than Bilbo's poetry. This yeah. is more ominous even than, you know, far over the Misty Mountains cold. You know, and it doesn't take two pages to do it. Yeah. Um, but we get more about the history of the ring. And then, um, as you said, we learn about Smeagol's history with the ring. Smeagol, of course, being Gollum. Uh, we learn that Smeagol was something like a hobbit and then he killed his boyfriend and took the ring. Mm -hmm. And yes, I am asserting that Smeagol is also queer um, based solely on the line, give us that deagle, my love. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'll take it. And yeah, you know, queer people can be complex. We do not have to be shining beacons of virtue and respectability. Sometimes we're evil and we steal a ring and then we live in a cave for a bajillion years. You know, this is part of the vastness of the queer experience. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think he says, we're going to have a story. And he says my love like three times. So, yeah. Yeah. I think... Uh, and clearly we have um, some some choking that went awry. Yeah, uh, did not seem to clearly. be pre-negotiated. No, um, I think if we're going to have a story in which there are basically no women, we, we can assert that everyone's queer. Yeah, I like that. Um, thank you, Tolkien. We appreciate you. <laughs> Uh, and also how absolutely gay you wrote all of your characters, even without intending to. Mm -hmm. Necessarily. Who knows? Uh, we have, yeah, little bits of Frodo saying, you know, uh, do we, uh, you know, we, he should have, Bilbo should have killed Gollum and, and, Gandalf is saying, you know, what what good would that have done? Mm -hmm. you know, what what good is is violence in the end? Um, Gollum is not evil. Gollum is corrupted. Gollum is sad. Pity him, Frodo. Um, I do have the one other line that I wanted to talk about too, which is. Frodo, uh, that Gandalf saying to Frodo, our time is beginning to look black. Uh, the enemy is fast becoming strong. And, or, you know, always after a defeat and a respite, the shadow takes another shape and grows again. And Frodo says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. And Gandalf says, so do I, and so do all who live to see such times but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. And as we were just discussing, <laughs> um, 
Tolkien comes and delivers us a little a little punch. Yeah. I've just, seen that one yeah. quoted a lot in all of the once in a lifetime, once in a generation events that we have lived through. Um yeah, I feel that very deeply. Yeah, a little too many of them. We're working on it. We're getting there. Uh, that one is that one hits home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happens, Sam? And then Where are we going from here. Then we get a little bit of comic relief at the, unless there was anything else in the meat of their conversation that you wanted to get to. Um, no, just Frodo not being able to destroy the ring. Yeah. But that's, and asking sort of, what do we do about this? Yeah, and it's, you have to go throw it into a cavern or something. He gives a very specific description. The but cracks I think of doom in the fiery mountain. Yeah, that's one of the other things that everyone knows, even if you are not a Tolkien fan, is that the only way to destroy the ring is you got to throw it in the volcano. So that is, you know, just sort of a common cultural piece of knowledge but then we get our little bit of comic relief that sam was eavesdropping the entire time and he is terrified of gandalf and is like cowering behind frodo like oh he's gonna turn me into something unnatural and gandalf is pissed that sam was eavesdropping and so he tries to punish him by sending him away on the adventure and he's going well you know i won't turn you into something i'll do something worse you have to go on the adventure and then sam perfect perfect creature says me sir cried sam springing up like a dog invited for a walk me go and see elves and all hooray he shouted and then burst into tears <laughs> i love him. i love him so much Samwise Gamgee is one of the best characters in pretty much anything ever. Yeah. Um, and I love him so dearly. I think and every every Tolkien reader uh, with a heart does. I'm sure, just because of the way that books work, that something terrible and heartbreaking is going to happen to him at some point. And I'm not ready for that. And so I am just going to put off thinking about it for as long as possible because I just want him to be happy I am going to not say anything thank you uh, because this is a story about this or this is a podcast about you experiencing this for the first time as much as you can I think I have some kind of inkling of like just vague notes of like he has some sort of struggle in the future but i don't know enough about it for it to be like really substantive but for now oh. sam is just gonna go on a nice little trip with his boyfriend and that's delightful sam sam just wants good things for frodo and i appreciate that so dearly and also uh frodo will not make it through this adventure without sam Mm -hmm. um and i think that's important just even if you don't read them as a couple um which there are times where i don't know if i do but i do read them as a queer platonic relationship yes absolutely and the 
the power of queer platonic love um, that comes out in this in this book um, in this series just makes me very happy. Yeah. Sam is making little little heart shapes with her hands at me uh, through our video chat. Um, Listen, I don't I don't have to explain myself. Thanks for putting me on blast. I will always put you on blast and it will always be with love, my friend. Um, and with that, we are going to cut this here. And next time we'll discuss the next few chapters of the Fellowship of the Ring. So we hope you come along with us on this lovely journey. It's going to get much darker before it gets better. And we're going to weather it together. Oh, that's I'm, very I'm sweet. very excited to see what all of what levity and gay shit and thirst we can bring to this. The thirst will carry us through the darkness. I'm excited. The thirst to get will back. carry us through the darkness. I'm excited to get back to reading because I started this months and months ago and had to put it down because we were doing a million other things and we decided we were going to do this podcast and so I stopped reading it so I wouldn't get ahead of myself. But I really want to keep reading Lord of the Rings, so I'm very excited to continue. Yes, we're we're going to keep going through this at a uh, a good clip. Um, so I'm excited to go forward with this and. If you would like to follow along with us as we go through, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us. And uh, actually, I don't know if that's true with where we're currently publishing this, but we'll get there. Yes. Uh, but you can find our social media you can follow us on twitter and instagram and on tiktok uh at fan app pod f-a-n-a-p-p-p-o-d yes that's three p's in a row i'm sorry uh fan app pod and that is where we'll pick up next time i suppose I don't know, Sammy, do you have anything else for the end of our first real content episode that is now running over an hour long? No, I'm just I'm just excited to keep going. We'll see y'all next time. Good. Alrighty, see y'all next time. I have to pee so bad. Okay, so <laughs> The Phantom Apprentice is produced and edited by Rin and Sam. Our music was composed and performed by James, and our art is by Casey Turgeon. This podcast is created for non-commercial entertainment purposes, and the opinions expressed therein are our own and are not reflective of the opinions of any other person or organization. The content discussed is the property of the Tolkien estate and is used here under fair use.